Hey, welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' holy name, and I thank you and praise you for all of the ways that you love us, all of the ways that you bless us. Lord, I ask that you would help us to open ourselves to you, to your call, to call you out for our lives. Help us to recognize the the, the gift of life, the gift of everything that is unfolding in our lives. Lord, I ask also for the blessing of being able to stand in a place of desperation, a place where we experience that we've got nothing left and we're overwhelmed by the situation we're facing. Lord, give us the gift of being able to be in that moment and to turn to you and to look to you. And Lord, we ask as well that you give us the grace to receive from you the fullness of life that you have for us, that we'd allow the elevation into the newness of life that is ours as children of God to come alive in a new way. Lord, give us the grace of resurrection. Give us that foretaste now. Give us that light and the the fruit of that union with you, Lord. Help us to know that as well. And may that give us a strength, a power, to live lives of victory. Victory over sin, victory over death, Victory in the midst of things that would make us ordinarily feel defeated. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you for the way that you have made the gospel known to us. Help us to reflect on that gospel in a new way, in a fresh way, and help us to live that gospel. In Jesus' holy name, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, here we are. It's Friday. It's Faith and Family Friday. And I I don't know. I think I have a, I don't know if this is a, a record, but it's a rarity. On Monday, I had on Father Nagel. He's a priest and a pastor. He's also on the Presbyteral Council of the Archdiocese of Seattle. And on uh, Tuesday, I had on, no, wait a minute. No, I had on Father Lewis. No, not Father Nagel. Excuse me. I had on Father Lewis, a priest and pastor. Then on Tuesday, I had on as a guest a a religious priest who's also a vocation director for his religious order, Father Menezes. Then on Wednesday, I had on Father Connell. He is a priest, he's a vicar general, and he's the uh, rector of the Cathedral of Our Lady of Lourdes in Spokane. Then on Thursday, I had on Bishop Tyson. I go from priests and pastors and vocation directors and vicar generals all the way up to the fullness of the priesthood with Bishop Joseph Tyson, the ordinary of the Diocese of Yakima in Washington. And today, my wife. <laughs> Carrie, you're with me. You're with me. And today we're going to manifest in this time that we have together a different call, a different state of life, the reality of being married. And I'm excited to share with you and share you with the audience today as we dig into the ongoing work of unfolding what's happening in our lives at the beginning of this new year. And in addition to that, I'm going to focus on those three moments of discipleship, the moment of a call where we realize that it's all a gift, the moment of powerlessness where we come before the Lord in in a praiseworthy form of desperation. And what does that look like? 
And then the empowerment that God has for us, the empowerment that comes when his Holy Spirit surges within us, and we feel that anointing, we feel that strength that brings us beyond death, beyond the grave, to new life. And and those aren't just theological ideas. Those aren't just, quote-unquote, experiences. No, that's the gospel taking flesh in your life and in mine, in your marriage and mine, in our lives, in our families, and in our church today. And so we're going to reflect on all of that as we get started. And I actually like that way of saying it. Let's get started. Carrie, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, we started looking at our budget, something that we've talked to. Uh, no, I don't even know if we can call We haven't looked at a budget yet. <laughs> we, you started to unfold unfold open folders and open envelopes put piles <laughs> on the floor of bills and uh bills what, 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 what bills. am i doing here i'm trying to i'm listening to you try to describe what i'm doing I'm, it's uh i think it's um well the intent is that you and i at the beginning of this year as part of the call we have to be good stewards in this moment that involves greater economic challenges to be more dialed in around um, our finances. Um, I think you, what's Dave Ramsey's phrase? Tell your money, tell tell your money where to go. Something like that. Is that the phrase? <laughs> yeah. Dance for me, money. Tell it what to do. Is it so, tell your money what to do? I don't know. No, it's tell your money where to I go. I'd be a better student. They had their big opening Thursday night. Did you actually do that? I watched part of it while I was shopping at Costco. While I was spending, while I was telling my money what to do, I need to buy some chicken and some seltzer waters. Um, yeah, I did watch it. It was cute. It, it was redundant. You know, thing about Dave Ramsey, I listened to him ten years ago. It's the same content. Yeah. And new people. The snowball. Seven yeah, stages. It's the same walk stuff. I was like, all. wow, you guys can peddle this for how many years? And they still have listeners, and they still have converts, and. It's a good message. It's actually very free. And so I think what was surprising to me at the end of today, after we spent two days overtaking our whole living room with papers and file folders and piles of papers, um, it felt rather refreshing or relieving or unburdening to put everything in order and to clean out all the different files and collapse some and get rid of stuff. And um, it's nice to start the year off fresh. I just took like all the like credit card bills from 2021 and filed them away. So now it's the files are all empty. Oh, wow. So I took everything and put it into like a tax box where when we go to plot to fill out tax taxes, we'll have all the paperwork. But um, I'm finding like things in certain files that don't go there. And then other papers It's like, how did this get in here? And but just going through every folder and cleaning them out and resetting all the folders. I think the last time I did this was when we gosh, when was it? It was like five years ago. And I just feel like we have so many more complications to our finances and I've just let it get away from me. So just trying to get a handle on it and then having you sit there and get in contact with banks and medical and what else were you contacting? Carved things. Yeah, it was loans, uh, mortgages. I don't know. It was just a lot of phone calls you made to get things into the right accounts. Well, I think if there's a, again, there's a there's a beautiful principle that is in um, uh, our tradition 
around growing in faith, and it's the concept of the disciplines of a disciple. Okay. That if you're going to be a disciple, an actual follower of Jesus, there needs to be a sort of, a sort of order to life. There's an ordering function to life. And I think that I have emphasized for myself the ordering of my life in time, meaning, oh, I get up first thing and I pray. I stop and I ponder and I say, I want to make sure I get to Mass. How, did I, how do I fit that in? Um, I, I put a sense of ordering of time around, am I spending time with my family and my kids? But when it comes to the financial part of my life, I haven't been good about that same kind of clarity and everything's in its place and that clear sense of order. I think I fall into the trap of many entrepreneurs or a certain type of, of um, leadership style, which is you go so fast that stuff falls off the back of the truck. That's the, that's the way that it's described metaphorically. Um, and so a lot of stuff just flails out of the back of my truck in terms of someone saying to me, oh, well, when you have income for your ministry work or your real estate work, well, what account does that go into? And I said, well, yeah, yes. It could come in through Venmo or my cash app or PayPal, or it could come in the form of a check that I put into one of four different checking accounts. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> now how do you actually pay attention to income and expenses? Is how this do you... a confession for you? Yeah, it's kind of a, kind of a confession. I'm owning it. I'm owning it. Well, and I'm owning it because in the last two days, you and I together, and I've committed this with someone who's helping me in my like operations side and in my marketing side to, to get a handle on income and expenses to be able to have a clear budget, you know, to know with a greater sense of clarity and order, where are we spending money? Where's money coming in? And are we living within our means? And what do we do with our money, Right. Um, and, and that's something that, again, my typical strategy has been just go so fast. I don't have to worry about it. Stuff falls off the back of the truck. And then there's my backup strategy, which is Powerball, (laughs) $1.35 billion. Let's go Jesus. How how much do you think is a fair amount to put towards Powerball? Is it one ticket? Is it a hundred dollars worth of tickets? Is it a thousand dollars worth of tickets? I think there's I mean, something just, like 472 million combinations. So why don't I just buy 472 million? So just and buying, then guarantee the win. There you go. Buying a ticket, so you're just paying to play, and if you win, I don't know. At that point, I don't see why you'd buy ten. Just buy one. <laughs> God only needs one to win. That's right. right. God. That's God, what only, God needs. God needs at least you to buy one. Right. You have to at least buy one oh. to get, to get in the game. Wait, did someone win that? It was last no, night? No, it's, it's, to, it's tonight. Oh, it is? Yeah. I thought it was last night. Friday night. Okay. Friday night. So we still, we have a chance, honey. We have, if the Lord leads me to, oh. the Lord might lead me in. If there's, I see a blinking number. So, you know, they've changed the boards now uh, on those, like, uh, those boards that have the, the digital signage. Okay. To have a fourth figure. So there can be a one. Uh, and, and so it doesn't just say 999. 
because it right. taps out okay. at 999 million. No, no, no. They want to be able to have one billion and then something else. So I think the last one I saw was uh, 1.350. It feels billion. like you know Dave Ramsey's whole thing is retire a millionaire. It doesn't even think. It almost feels like that's not even enough money anymore. He's a big thing. If you make it to that amount, you can come on and do do a. It's called the millionaire. I don't remember. Anyhow, I was just listening to someone. They're super excited. They had 1.1 million, but it just feels like with inflation and the economy, is that enough? Is that enough to retire on? <laughs> you know how the numbers change. Well, if you think about it today. A lot of folks retire if they're retiring at sixty-five. I don't know. Maybe that's too young to retire. But if they did retire at sixty-five, then they're just living off of their retirement income and whatever other investments they have. They could be alive for another forty years. You will have kids in school still at sixty-five <laughs> in college. In no, high in high school. school. When I'm sixty-five, yeah, they say, "Oh, look at the grandfather going <laughs> down there for the for the senior night." Oh. Oh, it's a senior, bringing the senior night. It's so great. Oh, God bless us. Yeah, wow. it's, but it has been, it's been, we had a rough start at the the first morning, I think. We did? We argued? Yeah. We had we did. a disagreement? Yeah. I don't remember. Oh, really? Oh, praise God. Hold on, let I me I love think. that. <laughs> we... No, 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 it was so beautiful, Oh, honey. there are so many. We were singing. <laughs> remember There's we were singing? So... Well, there's like that. so many areas where we could just start going into amazing conversations. And it's hard to do a budget. like, And it's you have to do it for three months. You have to stick with it and tell you. So I Is think, this Dave Ramsey? Is this yeah, Financial Peace University? It takes three months to do, a, to do a budget correctly. So we're just starting. Um, and then to have those conversations, then to come back around, and then to have accountability. It is work. I think that's why people don't do it. And when you said it's not so much tell your money what to do, it's debt snowball. You're not you're not you're not just living within your means. You're actually taking energy, effort, passion, uh, motivation to get out of debt, to get to a point where you're not paying all this interest to whomever. So it's more than just living within your means. There's actually you're playing a game. Like, it's almost like a game, but it's real life. Well, I, it, and it might have been, I mean, there's, I think, a part of me that has said, I don't know if the word is spiritualize it. Like, I'm going to put my focus on Jesus and on the mission that he has for me, and he's going to take care of me. And and I definitely have seen that happen. You know, we have seen that happen so many times in our in our in our lives. And, you know, the Lord's not going to stop being God, you know, a beautiful provider for us. Um, But it's not like I haven't been working hard. But there's also the work hard at being in order. Okay, back in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com.
drtomcurran.com. Hey, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnan with my wife, Carrie. Today we're talking about uh, finances and getting launched well into the new year and how we are um, wrapping our arms around and bringing good order into um, finances. And Carrie, this is something that you've wanted for us for quite a while. Yes, I have. <laughs> well, and Carrie, what I think of are the apostles, right? Because I think of myself sort of like Peter, the one that's closest to Jesus, and you're like the one that was dealing with the money. Was that All Judas? Right. All I can think yes, is how easy their finances were ignoring <laughs> you back in the day, before you had phones and all these like invisible accounts and invisible charges. We Today, I called up Apple to get a two ninety nine charge taken off my phone, which has been on there for three years because it buys storage. No, not three years. Only it like has. six months. No, it's been there for... Anyhow, it's for storage. I didn't want to lose my photos. And you say to me, oh, well, why are you using that? I have Google... Google One. And you're like, you can use it for free. So there's like these little technologically challenging issues with the phone because there's... And then you... There's several accounts that I don't can't see, like your PayPal, your Venmo, your like where where are these charges coming from? And what is it's just like amazing all the things that I did not know was happening <laughs> with our accounts. And I, I guess it's humbling also. I don't believe this could happen twenty years ago before you were all on the internet. That's a actually that's a great point. Like everything's Ten, hidden. Yeah. Yeah. Ten years ago. 15 years ago at most, if you go 15 years ago, you're back to the beginning of the iPhone. And, and not like all these apps were started and they didn't even have 4G networks at the time and all of that. So, and it wasn't so widespread. So all of those things, these are, this is a contemporary phenomenon of just the fi last five years or so. I was reading a book, von, von Balthazar's book called Epilogue. The Epilogue is volume number 16 of his trilogy on beauty, truth, and goodness. Okay. And then he writes a short epilogue of about 100 pages to say, let me try to summarize what I was saying in those other six, 15 volumes, <laughs> okay? And in the introduction to that book, he says that one of, the biggest, one of the biggest challenges to the contemporary reader appreciating what he was doing in these 16 volumes uh, which was unfolding theology through the transcendental attributes of being, which is truth and goodness and beauty. By unfolding theology through those things, it takes a certain capacity to perceive, a certain capacity to be present and to be able to recognize what's showing up in front of you, okay? And he said the biggest challenge to it was the modern media. And the statistic he said that is shocking and that is creating what he calls the anima technica vacua, the empty technical soul, the soul that has become emptied because of the technical approach to reality. He said this in 1986. And the statistic that he found so extraordinarily troubling was that there are some teenagers who were spending 10 hours in front of the television per week. That's amazing. 
That's just—it's so pathetic. Isn't that you just kind of stunned? Because I, I intentionally said per week at the at the last because said ten hours in television, and then you could have probably said oh per day. I thought it was per week. Oh, did you really? Well, back we, then. Back then, yeah, I did think it was per week, and then now, just just the complication of I feel like okay, technology's helped us in so many ways, but I just feel like the complication that it has caused with our you know, not being able to access stuff. But then I'm thinking, well, you have all these amazing apps that all of a sudden it took in my checking account, it took in my credit cards, it took in my mortgage. And it laid out my whole budget, like with a push of a button. It just, so the the speed, I think it's, I think what technology does is it just thrusts me into a, a level of pace that is maddening because it's able to do things like artificially not the brain can't do it or we can't do it um, mechanically or whatever. And the, the speed at which you communicate with people or you get information out or you find things, it feels like it is putting me on this like bullet train. And I find that so dis, just disconcerting. It just really bothers me. When I watch the show like The Waltons or, or Little House on the Prairie and I, some of me just yearns to go back to that time because it just feels like I can control my environment in a way. But I, I think that's what it is. I feel out of control when I'm using technology to do all this stuff because it's just too fast for me in my mind. Yeah. And I think that we hear common phrases like information overload, right? Um, and brain studies, people who study the brain, you know, have put forward studies that show that the a human being just doesn't have the capacity to take in all the content that is being presented to them in various forms of media through a smartphone. And just take away other screens, laptops and desktops and smart TVs and uh, video games. Take all those things and throw them away and just say the smartphone. And you just, there's, there is, how many different forms of uh information, content that is coming at you, right? Content, uh, podcasts and videos and, and games and news and um, chat and FaceTime, right? All, it, it's, it's overwhelming and it leads to not only the addictive qualities where you have the dopamine hits, um, where you just want to see the next thing and it, it just it grabs you. But also the, and this is where Von Balthazar's point comes in. He's saying, no, you, you, you don't get it. It's actually emptying out your soul. This technology is going to empty your soul of its capacity to appreciate beautiful form, to appreciate the beauty, the attractive harmony of the elements that are on display in this thing that is in front of you, in this event that is in front of you, in this person that is in front of you. It's that gift quality. Right, the gift quality of creation, that all is gift coming from the hands of our good and loving Father. Your capacity to appreciate that. And by appreciate, it means much more than just say, oh, I acknowledge that. No, it's to take it in, to, to draw it into yourself. Because that's the capacity we have as, as human beings in our soul, is to actually take in what it is we perceive. Do you think... One desires to be okay, known, named, 
Do you think there's this teen pandemic, this this epidemic of anxiety and depression, because parents and friends are on technology, these people aren't received fully by another because they're surrounded by a lot of people that are unable to fully engage in a depth that feeds the other person's soul. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it just came to me like there's a way in which me being on my phone just uh, does not allow me to interact with my kids in a more profound and deeper way because I'm distracted or. Yeah, um, I would say the answer is for sure without question. Right. Um, I was listening to, it was Jordan Peterson. He was interviewing a woman who uh, transitioned because of the way that gender ideology socialized into her life. And he started talking about what emerges in young people at puberty. Uh, It's that dawning of self-consciousness. And he said that girls have a disproportionately, um, uh, uh, they have a higher likelihood of experiencing negative emotions about their sense of self that emerges as they become aware of themselves, they don't like what they see. They see the imperfections, they see the changes, and, and they don't like it. It's, it. And it leads to anxiety and depression, the two words that you said. And that becomes a foundational experience they have. And he said, now, take all of that and watch what happens when you put all of that onto the internet. And you have these platforms, especially Instagram and TikTok these days, Snapchat, where they, you know, they're presented with these ideal images that they can't keep up with, and these ideal scenarios that are just overwhelming to them. And then what happens? There's a spiraling down into a greater sense of heaviness, depression, and anxiety about not fitting in, not belonging. That's not me. I don't like myself. I almost feel like there's going to be a time where you can go live in this town and you can be detoxed and there's no phones there's no technology there's no internet it's just like a whole community where people are offline and you're living off the land or no m night Shyamalan make a movie about that (laughs) who's that i don't know he's a he's a director about those people that like bought this land in the woods oh, and they put yeah, it up and they, and they made a, pretend yes. that there's an alien oh, monster name? out there. The there's village. The village. The yeah. village. And but, they, they went back to the little house <laughs> on the prairie. Honey, let's make a plan. The, well, I just, I can just see how people yearn for and crave desire. Especially if your child is on a phone and they are struggling with depression and anxiety, that phone exacerbates and makes worse. All those scenarios, it just, I've seen it over and over. And, the best thing is you can't just take their phone away. You've got to put them into a whole community that is not on phones. It's almost like you, you can't just take their phone away while all their friends are on it. You have to almost remove them from an environment where everyone's on their phones into an environment where no one is on a phone. Right. So let me tell you, if you're on the West side, if you're in the Puget Sound area and you've got teenagers and you're saying that doesn't exist, come on out and visit us. Uh-oh. Come on out and visit it us. It sort of exists. It sort of exists. It exists in a way better state out yeah. here uh, with our kids, for sure, have been rescued from so much of that, even though there's still elements of it. Uh, and I see it in the schools like Chesterton and the Oaks and Court of Christ. 
they don't have smartphones. They're not allowed. Yeah, that is actually true. They're not on computers writing papers and doing all that. Yeah, they amazing. don't know how to use a keyboard. That none of them will be able to type. They'll be one finger typing when they get to call. <laughs> <laughs> It'll all be voice stuff. I'm just joking. Yeah. No. So I think that, um, but there is the, there's that sense of frenzied. There's a frenzied cloudiness in the brain, a fogginess yeah, brain in fog the brain. Or, yes. That happens when kids are consuming media after media after media, those TikTok shorts, right, that are on YouTube and Facebook and these other platforms. It's too much. It's too much. And, um, and, and when they move away from it, they want to go back to it. They want to come back to it. They, they feel that, that, that angst, and they want to come back to it. So if that, that, it's so weird to think, Carrie, that that wasn't a reality even 10 years ago. Yes. 10 years ago, 10, 10 years ago, that was, this was just not a reality in people's lives. And so parents, we are facing really unprecedented challenges. Uh, it's the anima technica vacua. It's the empty technical soul. And that is not what we were made for. We were made for God. We were made to encounter God in his creation. And, um, and so, Carrie, as we've uh, started to wrestle with the, the challenge of budgeting, and I encourage you folks, if, if money is one of those hot-button issues in your married life, it makes it difficult to have good conversations. How are we spending money? What are we doing with our money? Um, do not look to us for wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> We're sharing a bit of our uh, broken <laughs> challenge here, but I, I'm really happy at the at the two days that we've spent so far, and we're going to continue to do it. And and if I had to say, the path the path has been from a sense of not knowing the degree of disorder or disorganization, a movement towards consolidation and order and clarity, because then it'll be easier to make decisions. So I feel like that's been that's been the gift of even just these couple of days. Yes, I agree, Tom. And it does bring freedom. That clarity, uh, I, I think the whole discipline uh, with our finances and being able to um, just see momentum in the right direction as regarding how we want to write out our future with what we've been blessed with. And, and not just kind of live day to day or week to week. It's not really paycheck to paycheck. It's more um, not being more intentional and deliberate about uh, what things are going to unfold. I, I'm being... <laughs> Here's how I would say it. I'm kind of being a, a obscure for a reason. Okay. I think I'd say that I've talked to people who don't realize the joy that they have lost. And when they have joy restored to them um, because of some wound that has held them back. And then all of a sudden they're prayed with or they undergo some kind of healing retreat. And then all of a sudden they recover what they have lost, but they didn't even realize it was missing until, it, until they experienced it. I feel a bit like that. I feel like that there has been an underlying sense of whether it's frustration or conflictual streams of conversation in our lives around, um, around not having clarity and order and um, a sense of, okay, knowing how financial stewardship is part of the wider stewardship. 
um, that I, I feel like we're, we're moving into a better place. Um, and that's part of discipleship. So part of discipleship is fulfilling the duties of your state in life. And if I'm going to lead and provide and protect my family, I can't just lead by going so fast that stuff just falls off the back of the truck. I can't just say I'm going to provide by overcoming any and all potential debt we'll face. But I also have to protect, and that is protect so that your well-being, protect our future to the extent that that's possible. And I think that's maybe some of what's emerging in, in these last couple of days. So I hope you found this to be a blessing. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Cronin with my lovely wife, Carrie. Uh, Carrie, we are here, and um, this is the first full week of Ordinary Time. And it's a time for beginnings. It's a time for, uh, it's still really sort of the, f- the fresh newness of the new year. Um, I told you I had a, like a new revelation. I've been going to the gym to work out, but because of the background impacts of my concussion from last year, um, I've been only riding on the old person's bike. The old person's bike, Carrie. That's the one where, you know, you're riding on a bike with the screen, but you have a seat. I mean, you know, like a chair seat rather than a typical bike seat. So it's, I don't know, it's like a seat. It's like a, like a normal chair with a back on it. And, um, and I pedal away. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. I had oh, and I have some hand weights. I, I've got to kind of flex here for the right. for the people, right? And I, I I I have it at a pretty good resistance level. It's not like at a one, right? I, I've got it up. I got it at eleven, right? And it goes up to nineteen, so that's good. Anyways, it's an it's an hour long thing, and I've been doing it now for probably four months. And what's crazy is it doesn't get easier. And I'm thinking that's insane. It should be getting easier. <laughs> It doesn't make sense to me that it doesn't get easy. It's like I'm so accustomed to the stage of life that says when you put in an effort, you're going to grow and improve. You're going to get stronger. You're going to get leaner. And you're going to, um, you're going to be able to have a greater endurance and, and all of that. And all of a sudden, I had this flash of insight that was, wait a minute. I'm at that age in my life where I don't actually get stronger, but rather I have to put in all this effort so I don't get weaker. <laughs> Are you feeling old? This is terrible. This is terrible. I, I'm oh, okay. Hey, here, this happened to me. I went to, I was going to daily mass a few days ago and uh, it was Monday and I missed the normal time I went to mass. So there was an 815 mass at St. John Vianney here in, in the Valley. And so I, I got there at 815 and it was like no cars. And I checked, I looked up online, it was 815 mass. And I went up to the door and there was like a, an old guy there who opened the door for me. And I said, isn't there mass? He says, no, no mass today. And I'm like, oh, okay. And as I started walking back out to the parking lot, an old woman got out of the car and she was going to make her way into the, uh, into the uh, cafeteria area, the hall. And I said, oh, there's no mass. And she said, no, no, but you're welcome to stay. We're going to be taking down the Christmas ornaments. And I'm like, it's a bunch of old people. <laughs> they thought you were there. <laughs> they peer. thought me. They was, uh, I was one of them. 
God. Carrie, that was terrible. <laughs> that was terrible. And then when I went to mass yesterday, I looked around and I'm like, yes, I'm still the youngest person at daily mass. <laughs> I'm 58 years old and I'm the youngest person at daily mass. That's really troubling. That's funny. Isn't that terrible? I think I said to the kids, if there's anyone under 50 at mass, because it's the first time we went to St. John Vianney, I'll give you a dollar. I, I made some bet. And it was like up, a, a certain amount for every person that was yeah. under. And there is no one younger than you, Tom. It was pretty funny. Well, except for you us. and the kids. Yeah, well, and then there was us. a lady who came over afterwards, oh. and she said, I saw these empty pews in the chapel, and she just said, Lord, would you bring people to the to our church? And then you all came walking in. 20 minutes late. In the, into the... <laughs> No, we were only 10 in the minutes middle late. of his homily. Ten minutes late. In the oh, middle of his homily, so and the door was we had to walk in behind him. <laughs> it's like do 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 right through the whole chapel. Oh, yeah. Well, that is a first. You can stay and take down Christmas decorations. You know, you are actually. I mean, this is part of what's uh, spurring us on to get financially clear. Is you're not young anymore. You're getting to that point where retirement is not that far off, and and even I feel like um, I can see how I've been slowing down as well. And I don't know. So it just starts to make us take a, a I don't know, a downshift. And financially speaking, you don't have the earning strength or um, ability to say, okay, I'm just going to work from morning, noon and, noon and night. No, you're getting tired and it's harder. I mean, you're definitely more skilled. You definitely have all the attributes of a a CEO, whatever, the oh, high-level oh, wow. executive, whatever. Oh, I was feeling like we're a couple old people sitting around a coffee table <laughs> I know. breakfast. What medicines are you taking this week to, to help with your ailments? But um, it, but it just is clear that as we get older, things are starting to shift slowly. I mean, we don't have any grandkids and none of our kids are married, but I still see that this is just a lot of our peers have grandkids and it's just around the corner. Yeah. So... In this journey of life, there's this whole journey through discipleship, right? There, these moments of discipleship, and in this first week of the, uh, in this first week of the, uh, of the uh, ordinary time, in ordinary time, right? So we finish the Christmas season with the feast of the baptism of the Lord on Monday. So now here we are in ordinary time. It's it's a time to recognize the extraordinary quality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when Jesus. Uh, came, he preached the gospel that the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. And so there's this revelation of God's kingdom in our lives. And Carrie, one of the things that I think that we Catholics and any follower of Jesus um, ought to have personal testimonies about is the way that God's kingdom breaks into our life, is the way our living testimonies and stories about the way that the Father takes good pleasure in giving us his kingdom. I think it's uh, it's too easy just to settle for, oh, we can identify as people of faith, as Catholics, as Christians, as followers of Christ, but do we have living encounters and living testimonies of the Father showing his good pleasure to us? What was your word for the year? Expiation. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to be very evangelistic. <laughs> that whole idea might scare people away. Okay, God is teaching me so much already. It's amazing. I can't tell you. 
I can tell you. You can tell me. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you? <laughs> yes. Expiation. I was trying to remember your word. I was sharing it with someone. I said, is it retribution? <laughs> Punishment. I couldn't remember your word. <laughs> Some kind of terrible word. It was not fun and pleasant. Wait, what was your word last year? It was reparation. Yeah, see, I was like combining the two. Yeah. I go from repairing the damage to bringing about uh, hell rescue, right? The rescue from hell of, of souls. And... I here are three simple, simple things, Carrie. That do you, do you ever really think about it? So expiation, as it's coming alive in me, is this idea that God uses our lives to bring about in Christ, through Christ, and with Christ, the redemption of the world, which means the rescuing of souls from the punishment that is due to them as a result of sin right? Sin has consequences, death, and ultimately the separation from God forever in hell. This is a horror, a nightmare, and a terror. And the Lord loves us so much, the, one whom he has, the ones whom he has created, to say, I'm sending my son to die for you in your place, to undergo the punishment that was rightly yours, and to elevate out of it through a resurrection so that you can come to a whole new status as God's children, this is what Christ brought about. Now, he continues this work through the church. That's us. It's not just through the institution. It's not just through the sacraments. But the sacraments make Christ alive in us. And that means his work of redemption alive in us. Okay. Whew. So expiation means our sharing in Christ's work of redeeming the world, of saving souls from ultimately ending up in hell. Okay. There's my windup, right? Here are three insights from the last 24 hours. The first is the way that that theme is present in the basic prayers that we pray. So, Carrie, if I said to you, the prayer that we pray as a family the most in our home in the course of a week is which prayer? Which specific prayer? Um, Not a trick. Our Father? No. The Rosary? The Hail Mary. Right. We pray more Hail Marys than our fathers. Okay, yes. Okay. We just do, because we pray the rosary. Okay. How does the Hail Mary go? Come on, not Are a trick. Are you sure you want this me to be not here? <laughs> Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for me, a sinner, now and at the hour of my death. Amen. Is that the way it goes? Yes. Our death. That is not the way it goes. Our death. Amen. Our death. Pray uh, for... <clears throat> pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Was that what you learned? Uh, what I realized was in the Hail Mary, there is, in the like core aspect of the Hail Mary, is asking the Blessed Mother to pray for sinners at the hour of their death. And this was the whole theme, is that what? You pray for sinners that are near to death but far from God that the Blessed Mother was asking for us to pray for those poor sinners. And there it is in the Hail Mary. Wow. This is not hidden. All right, more on this in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. So today, Carrie, we're in this section reflecting on the way that the gospel of Jesus Christ comes alive in the church. And in my word for the year, expiation, there are these new insights that the Lord has already given me. And so one is that the theme of expiation is at the heart of the Hail Mary. That all Catholics, any Catholic who's praying the Hail Mary, is actually praying for poor sinners that are near to death but far from God. 
Because these poor sinners, well, who are the poorest of the poor sinners? The ones that are near to death. The ones that are trapped in spiritual death. The ones that are in the hour of their death. Okay, the second insight. The second one is, what's that prayer that we pray after the glory be at the end of every decade of the rosary? The? Oh, my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to Who? heaven. How many? All. Okay, lead Especially all souls. Especially those. <gasps> Who are? In most need. In most need of your mercy. Okay. Think of that prayer. Look at that prayer. What do we know about that prayer? The first is, the Lord is, that we are being commanded by our Blessed Mother at Fatima to do what? To ask for mercy, Right? Oh, my Jesus, forgive us, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell. So we don't, first of all, start with a position that says, Lord, save those poor slobs over there from the fires of hell. We, I've got on my scapular, I've done my five first Saturdays, I've done my nine first Fridays, I'm going to confession every month, I'm good to go, let's go, save those poor slobs over there, let's throw some ropes down. No, no, save us from the fires of hell. So there's that theme of solidarity, the theme of standing with, the theme of saying we're in this together. Lead all souls to heaven. Now, for me, I take incredible comfort in that because there are certain Catholics today who I've heard, even in the last week, on these social media platforms, say these craziest of things, like the great majority of souls are going to be damned. The great majority of souls that God has created are destined for damnation. Do they base that on the the road to hell is wide and many? And many are on it, and the road the, the and the, and not just that scripture, but the interpretation of that scripture that certain saints have given. So Augustine, early in his time of conversion and his theological reflection considered humanity a damned mass, the massa damnata, and that the number that were going to be saved were few. And um, so there are certain saints down through the ages that have used that kind of language in very exhortative ways, exhortatory, right? In, In exhortative ways to say, you, if you're going to put yourself in some camp, You have to put yourself in the camp of those that are on their way to hell. And that's where the majority are going. This prayer I take such comfort in, lead all souls to heaven. Because first of all, if all souls couldn't be led to heaven, then guess what? Don't pray that prayer. The Blessed Mother would not be having us pray that prayer, lead all souls to heaven. This sounds like some logic. Yeah. You're using some logic skills here. All right. Nice. Okay. And then especially those who have most need of your mercy. Okay. I want you to identify the person who's in the actual condition who most needs God's mercy. A great sinner. Who is? Uh, someone at who doesn't. hour. When you're dying. Not in the moment of their death, right? The sinner that is near to death, but far from God. 
that's the one that is in most need of God's mercy. It's not really, let's call it, the objectively speaking worst sinner, the one who's done the most really, really bad sins. Yes. No, it's the one who's minutes away in the last hour of their taking breath on earth, but are in mortal sin. Does this not bring a whole new meaning to your rosary? Yes. Yes. Hello. Awaken. Let's go. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Not only that, there's more. Okay. So we did the Hail Mary. We did the Oh My Jesus. Let's go back to the perfect prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us when his disciples said, teach us to pray. And how does he pray? How does he teach us to pray? Obviously, our Father, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, Our Father. And then you go all the way down through the Our Father, right? Forgive us our trespasses, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. I think one of the keys in all of that, that last phrase, is the us. It's not deliver me. That Jesus says the perfect prayer is a prayer of solidarity. The perfect prayer is a prayer of intimate connection and communion so that you cannot, ought not, ever think about your life in God as somehow radically separated from the lives of anybody else that God has placed you here on earth, anybody else that's in the body of Christ. And it's a consciousness. It's actually a way of seeing. Okay, I see that. And so if you start praying, deliver us from evil, you start asking, well, what's the worst evil? Well, there are all kinds of terrible evils. Like when I pray the rosary on Facebook, every time we always pray for uh, those that are trapped in sex trafficking situations and those that are targeted. It's like, is there a worse evil? Well, there's only, I, can't, I can think of one worse evil. What is that? Well, what's the theme here? Someone that is near. To death. To death. Far. But far from God. From God. Someone that is in the final hour. Someone that, Carrie, during our conversation is going to die. And if they die in a place of spiritual uh, separation from God, if they're in the Lazarus tomb, they're spiritually dead, and they're about to become Physically so dead. it's like the greatest intercession you can do. It's perfect. It's in the perfect prayer. Deliver us from evil. Uh, so that's at least one meaning of deliver us from evil is, my brothers and sisters, you have to see your life as connected to others. You can't see your life if you're going to really be a follower of Jesus and pray the prayer he taught. Can you be devoted to the Blessed Mother and have a sense of, individual piety? No, it's impossible if you really plumb the depths of the prayers that you're actually praying. Okay, last one. Oh, there's another one. Well, this was not from the rosary, though. Okay. This was from a homily that I heard. It's amazing how many of these homilies I'm hearing on census fidelium that have this theme in it, but not in a way that they say it. This particular homily was on praying to be to be preserved from an unprovided for death. Lord, preserve me from an unprovided death. So that is part of a litany. Um, But it's not preserve me, it's preserve us. Preserve us from an unprovided death. And so 
that is a way of flying in the face of the, the common idea. I want a quick and painless death and let it happen while I'm asleep, right? That's the sort of common popular idea. <laughs> okay, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is, I'm joking. what if it happened tonight and you weren't ready? Okay. You don't want to be caught off guard. So uh, preserve us from an unprovided death is saying, Lord, you know the hour that I'm going to die. May I be prepared, spiritually ready, spiritually in a right place. So this priest goes on and spends the rest of his homily saying, do you know how blessed you are in this parish? You want to have a provider for death? Just access the graces that this parish allows you. You can go to confession, go once a month. You can go to communion. Every communion is going to be a consolation for you at the moment of your death. Have that scapular. Wear that scapular. Make the first Fridays. Make the first Saturdays. Uh, go to. And he said, these are the things that will help you have a prepared for death. And all I could think of was, where's everybody else? How can you give an entire homily talking about that when the litany, the, the refrain is preserve us from an unprovi- unprovided death, not preserve me. Spend the time focused on the us part and all of a sudden it's like, oh Lord, if I say pre- preserve us from an unprovided death, all of a sudden I might have this consciousness that there are a bunch of people that are right now about to face death and then not have a death provided for. I want to pray for them. I want to pray for them. I want to go to communion for them. I want to pray a rosary for them. I want to do things for them. That's the gospel come alive. That's the rosary come alive. That's our devotional life come alive. All right, Carrie, end of my program. God bless. Join me tomorrow.